the end of the day, you're never going to make every single person happy, but you do your best. You you really push for it. Like it's kind of that aim for the moon, land amongst the stars kind of thing. Like as long as you know you're doing your best, and that's what I try to drill in to all the guys here. Like as long as you're confident in it, as long as you're you know you've done your best with it. Like that's all you can really ask of people. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. We've talked a few times about the boom of pubs with great food offerings. Some chefs make a career out of carving a new path in the pub space to raise the bar in different suburbs of major cities and also regions of the country too. But how do you strike that balance of being the hub for the locals and a great meal out as well? Stephen Scott is the head chef of The Lucky Hotel in Newcastle, New South Wales. Stephen, how are you? Good, thanks, Huck. Yourself? I'm good. Your um, your career is scattered with um, an array of um, gastro pubs. It's been a real feature of your career. What, what triggered that sort of direction for you? I was um, I was classically trained, like restaurant trained, and uh, growing up around that time, it was very much very clear: stay away from pubs. Uh, when I first hit London, I ended up, I found myself working with Ramsey's at the Warrington in Maidabelle. And that was his pub. It was, it was absolutely beautiful. It was, we still had that solid pub offering downstairs, but really nice dining room upstairs. And it just kind of gave me a little, I guess, a taste of what it can be. Like it doesn't have to be confined to just this kind of counter meal. Yeah. That kind of classic, I mean, look, everyone's reinventing it now. It's nostalgic. It's not a, it's not a dirty word anymore. But, um, yeah, I guess it just kind of made me realise it's only limited by your imagination, I guess. So, if that sounds a bit romantic, but, um, yeah. These days you're in Newcastle uh, with the Lucky Hotel. What's it like um, sort of taking food to a new level uh, in, a, in a city like Newcastle after, you know, working in London and Sydney and, and that sort of world that we'll get into soon? It's absolutely fantastic. And to be honest, the, the best thing about it is I'm not doing it on my own. There's so many great chefs up here. Like, it's like an absolute... Don't get me wrong, there was fantastic chefs here when I grew up here and before I left, but it's like there's this whole new wave of just good, honest cooking, and it's really fantastic. And it's almost like the days of competition are over. It's now a collaborative effort. So it's like you've got all these chefs kind of working to kind of put the place on the map. And, yeah, it's kind of – it's good. It's good to see, like, a bit of hometown pride, I guess. (laughs) You mentioned – that uh, you grew up in Newcastle. Take, take us back to when you were young. What what sort of role did food play in your family? Um, look, to be honest, it was a pretty uh, it was a pretty simple. Like you know, we're a working class family. Food was you know always good, but it was very you know meat and three veg. It wasn't anything super like we weren't reinventing the wheel or anything like that. It's kind of as I got a bit older and you know I was kind of getting ready to move out of home, and Mum was like, "Well, you know, this guy needs to be able to feed himself. I'm going to start." cooking him and yeah like a, like a lot of people around that time you kind of learn to make one good bolognese and you think you're the world's best chef <laughs> and yeah it kind of from that it kind of really that's where I developed an interest in it and being able to kind of yeah just play around experiment with things that's when I started to think okay this could be a good career this could be something I'm really excited for if I could get paid for this that would be unreal 
and the more people I spoke to, I kind of guess the more people told me that's a really bad idea and a really hard job. And when I started it, you know, I kind of took that on board, had a crack at uni. I guess that's a very generous term, but I kind of turned up, a couple of good parties, and I thought, yeah, this isn't for me. Yeah, I thought I'd give it a go and spent the first kind of six months thinking, you know, I really should have listened to those people. But I stuck it out and very thankfully I had a really great head chef who I started working for and followed him for my apprenticeship. He, I, I honestly say if I hadn't have met him and worked for him, I wouldn't be where I am now. He's the guy that kind of set me up, taught me, really showed me what food can be. Like, yeah, I was very lucky in that. T- tell us a bit about him and do you have any stories of, um, of the influence? Definitely a lot of stories. Uh, I'm not sure how many people are, uh, how many of those stories are safe for most people's ears. But no, he's um, like Michelin trained. His name's Bart Connors. And I first worked for him at a seafood restaurant here. And then he went to open his own kind of cafe by day, restaurant by night. And it was unreal. We made everything from scratch in-house. There was no, you would never just be shown a recipe. It was always, this is why you're doing it like this. This is how it works. Like there was nothing but a complete understanding given to you of like why you're doing what you're doing. And just those real kind of, you know, he was Michelin trained, work all through Europe. And yeah, just the food he would put out. I remember the first thing he taught me to make was this, it's like a classic tort caprice, like an Italian chocolate cake, but just the way he did it. And it was like, a, you would cook half of it and then put the other half on top as like a fondant. And it just was like anyone who's worked for him or tasted his food knows this cake. And like, it was just, it just changed everything. It was like, this is, this is what I want to be doing. This is really solidifying. Like for me, what cooking is all about. Bart helped you uh, cement that idea of a career in in hospitality. What, what was the sort of stepping stones for you before you went to London? So it was a very, um, it felt like a very long, a very tough apprenticeship. I think uh, at the end of that, I needed a bit of a break. I went to Sydney, kind of, I guess, took a back seat for a bit. It was just kind of working as a chef to party, which what I thought was going to be a bit of a casual job. It ended up being a really great job. I met a lot of good friends there just really loved kind of being in the big smoke, being out of home, kind of just being in this new situation. And part of like what he trained me was like, you know, this is great and this is your hometown, but you want to be able to get out. You want to see the world. You want to experience everything else. Then you'll appreciate what you have, I guess, is the best way to say it. And yeah, it kind of just gave me that taste for it. Like it was, um, yeah, it was get to Sydney, learn what I could meet some good people and then yeah it got to the point I was kind of had kept talking about it for so long going overseas working London I thought you know what time to put my money where my mouth is kind of and just yeah threw myself into it tell us about you know when you arrived in London were you surprised at how different it was and and how did you get yourself into the industry there so definitely surprised by uh how different it was and I thought I knew cold. If you're going to move there, don't move there at like the back end of January, start of February, because for a, uh, for a young bloke that loves the beach, it's a bit, it's a little bit different, but um, yeah, I guess, look, to be honest, I was shooting myself and I thought 
I'd ended up like looking for jobs. I saw that they were hiring for Ramsey's. I thought, well, I'm never going to get in there, but I at least want to, you know, I want to apply for it. I want to at least get a trial and just kind of see where I am and what, like what it's like and kind of see that side of things. And yeah, there was a, the head chef there at the Warrington was a, another Aussie, Aussie guy, Chris Arkadiev, another really great mentor of mine. And he, we kind of clicked and he understood where I was, where I'd come from. He was a really great mentor to have stepping into that new world. Like it's just all the little things. Like I remember doing the ordering and like, I remember three days in a row ordering Spanish onions. They kept sending brown onions. And I remember telling him like, oh, I don't know what's going wrong here. And he's like, he's like, look at the bag. And I was like, Oh, they're onions from Spain. Kind of <laughs> just things like that. Like he knew, he knew like, what I was trying to communicate, like it is a very different language over there sometimes, but uh, yeah, like just, he was able to kind of guide me and he, yeah, he was a very good mentor for my years over in London and through Ramsey's. Ramsey's known the world over and there's been a lot of chefs have gone through his um, kitchen and a lot of perceptions about him, but tell us about your experiences and, and what you took from your time in the kitchens of his restaurants. They were really good and completely different. And there was this constant kind of like, I guess, respect and awe, not just, not so much, well, definitely for him, but you'd work a section and you'd think about the chefs that were there before you. You'd think about the chefs that had gone through those doors and just the kind of the pedigree that had come out of it. And yeah, he was like when you would see him, like when he'd come in for dinners or just come in to see what's going on, like, he's definitely like, he's a fantastic chef and he is like, he'll come over and try something you're making. And no matter how complicated the dish is, he'll, he'll know exactly what's in it. He'll say like, you should try putting this or a bit more of this or a bit less of that. Like the guy is like a robot just programmed with ingredients and recipes and ideas. And it's really great. It's always like constructive feedback. I'm not saying what you see on the TV is like wrong, but it's like kind of edited and, it's made to look a bit different to how it is when you're there, I guess. Tell me a bit about the chef that you were before you went to London and the chef that returned to Australia. How different were you as a person and as a, as a chef? It was definitely very much that kind of laid back Aussie surfy chef, you know, like let's get through service, have some beers, get to the beach tomorrow before work. And then working in like, yeah, working in those restaurants in London, just kind of like, you, you just get more serious about it and you just understand it's about more than what you're putting on the plate. It's how you show up. It's how you be present. It's how you be there and yeah. Communicate yourself, present, present yourself kind of. Yeah. I guess you just, you realize that you are putting it in another, I guess in another league. You mentioned that the seed was sown in that time in London about sort of gastro pubs and that push that you've done since then in pubs. Um, tell us about sort of that seed that was sown and and like were you mindful that that was the direction you really wanted to go in or tell us a bit about that? I definitely didn't realise it at the time. And then um, as I went from there, they'd eventually sold the Warrington and I went to Claridge's which was like, that was a great dream of mine. And to be able to work in that kitchen was unreal. Um, and yeah, I was, I was there for a couple of months. And then the exec chef at the time, an opportunity had come up at May's Grill. He came and spoke to me. He was like, Man, I think you'd be really great for it. Stepped away from that to go to the grill. And that was one of the best decisions of my life. Like it was, 
it was hard and they were busy days, but that was like my first taste of like open fire cooking. We would get like, we would get whole cows in, kind of break them down by hand rather than just ordering in primal cuts, things like that. Like it really, it was unreal. And for me, I'd always been trained kind of seafood, you know, the classic kind of intricate, intricate dishes. That's where I learned to really respect meat and to be able to like, it's not just a steak. It's like a really nice, you know, you, the providence of it, like what your breeds are. Like our menu would be, you know, where the cows were from. You would have, you know, your Angus, Hereford, your Creekstone from America, your Wagyu, your Kobe, and just kind of understanding them, like why, how they worked, how the muscles connected. Like, I don't think you truly get that until you see the whole thing, until you see the whole picture. And yeah, it was great. And I kind of didn't realize at the time, all those things were kind of like leading to, I guess, why can't we do this in a pub style setting? Like, which for me just kind of like, I love restaurants, but I feel pubs for everyone. Like you can take your family there, you can take your partner there. You can go there for your first date you can go there anniversary it's like you can do you can drop in with your mates it's just more open and more people are able to come and taste those things and experience those sorts of meals tell us about coming back to australia where did you land and where did the opportunities open up i wanted to go back to sydney so got back in i thought i'd be uh it's funny you asked about how that changed me as a chef i thought i'd go back for a little bit back to the old steve you know just get a cafe job, do some bacon egg rolls and spend my days at the beach. And I was just, I was like getting just so itchy feet. I was just like, I need, like, I feel like I'm just wasting my time. I need to get back into it. And then, yeah, started looking. The opportunity came up to work with Matt Kemp with the Charing Cross Hotel. And it was exactly what I was after. Like the whole, it was the Warrington all over again. It was beautiful pub side of things and having this really nice dining room and I'd never met Matt before. I'd eaten his food plenty of times at Balzac. I thought this is fantastic. And yeah, the opportunity to work with him and learn from him, it was like the missing piece, I guess. It was able to just like that guy, he's like what we we're doing there. I guess the idea was simple, but like it's really pushing like how complex simple can be. Like it looks like, you know, just a basic, a basic offering, basic meal when it hits you on the plate. It's like just, it's just perfect. Like the things you would do, the techniques he would show you is just, it was unreal. It's, you're always learning. So you're never at the end, but it really like just rounded off my journey of like everything kind of felt like it had come to that. Matt Kemp is known for a real ability to do nose to tail to the nth degree. Um, is, is there any sort of techniques or dishes or moments of time from the Charing Cross Hotel that um, you can tell us about that sort of epitomise that, that approach that he had? I love like, and God, we used to make absolutely thousands of these. I think he's, he's pig's head croquette and it's like we take a whole pig's head braise it down, pick the meat, mix the fat through, reduce Madeira stock, create a master stock, mix it all together, press it. It's taking something that like pretty much most steps of the way just looks so ugly and like, (laughs) and then, but the end result is just like, it's just pure flavor and it's just pure. Like you can taste the love that's gone into it. You can taste 
the work that's gone into it. Like it's, I guess that really kind of sums it up. And it's just, it seems so simple, but the steps that go into it, the love and care that goes into it, yeah, it just really brings it out. I don't need to say about his bread and butter pudding. Everyone knows about his bread and butter pudding. <laughs> and that's, I've rung him many a time and said, look, I'm working here. Can I put your bread and butter pudding on? And he's like, yeah, of course you can. Go for it. It's just, yeah. Yeah, no, it was great. Very fond memories working with him. And he's a very, uh, very instrumental in my career. You um, made a move to work with another Matt, Matt Moran, um, when he took over the Paddington Inn. Um, how did that gig come about and, and what was that like? So, yeah, he was a regular at the at Charing Cross and, yeah, I'd always kind of spoken to him and, yeah, it was always like it sparked an interest there and it was like, God, like I'd love to, you know, when I feel like I've ticked my boxes here, like I'd love to kind of, I guess, kind of, test the waters again, you know, kind of see, see what more I can do. And yeah, it kind of got to a point where I was like, I was feeling like I had ticked my boxes and they had just completely changed around the paddle in to like the bar and grill, very in line with like what I'd fell in love with working at Mays, at Mays Grill, sorry. And yeah, I just kind of, that advertised, I went and had a look, uh, had a chat with Laura Barato. She's an absolute fantastic chef. Um, yeah, and was just kind of like this is really this is really for me. And working for that company was fantastic. They were very like chef driven, and they were very on the front foot with like making the industry a better place, like making making a better. Yeah, you know, they were very culture based, and it was like they kind of understood like we need to start looking after people if we want. Yeah, you know, if the industry is going to survive, like we've got to do something about it. Tell us a bit about what you um, did at the Paddo Inn. I mean, I, I still remember the meal that I had there and still tell people about it. It was a, one of the best meals I've had in a pub in Australia. Well, what was, is there any dish or, or dishes you can tell us about with what you were doing there? Oh, I love that. Uh, I think you might be talking about the, I think you had the pork that night. <laughs> and it was this beautiful, like, nice Borodale pork cutlet, brined. There's a nice bit of grilled cabbage, but it was everything was, you know, it was perfect produce on the meat side, perfect produce on the veg side. Like it was a nice sugarloaf cabbage, which I hadn't seen since, seen anyone using since London. And it was just like nicely seasoned, nicely grilled. It was like, let's not complicate things, but it's got to be good. It's like, yeah, and just a nice shoe. And it was kind of, what more do you need than that? It is like, yeah, when you write it down, it just kind of sounds like meat and three veg, but we'll meet in one veg in that case. But um, yeah, it's kind of, if you can do that, if you can do that as a dish and that's, that's the feedback you're getting from people, like that's where it's at. The kind of, the, the noise is all gone from it. It's all blocked out. It's, you literally put yourself on a plate. There's nothing to hide behind. And yeah, I think it's a very, it's a very strong position to be in. In a very confident position to be in. Were there challenges in um, pushing the realms with with pub food in Australia? You know, England is renowned for its gastro pubs, but you know that the last sort of five to ten years, there's been an incredible evolution. But were there challenges for you translating that to the consumers? Yeah, definitely. I think like you have to you have to go easy with it. You you can't. 
you, you can't completely change everything overnight. Like you still need those classics on there. Otherwise you're going to kind of, you're going to scare people off. Now I'll freely admit, like I've learned that the hard way. Like I've gone all in and thought, yeah, this is it. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm all guns blazing here. And it's just kind of, you need to build up that trust with people. You need to be, you, you need to do the basics well, then to start to introduce those things. So it is like, it's challenging in the sense that, yeah, you kind of have to have a very, you've a very long-term plans. Like you need to be able to go, okay, well, this is what phase one looks like. This is phase two. This is where we start to bring this in. This is where we can get to now all of a sudden you're coming into a pub on a Friday night and you're asking for the tasting menu, but you can't start there. You, you need to get there. And yeah, by the time you do it, it's great because you, you feel the reward of like all the work you put through and it does teach you patience. It does teach you to kind of, I guess it helps you to take everyone else along on the way as well. What led to the move to return to your hometown in Newcastle? Me and my now wife, we, we were kind of like, okay, we wanted to start looking at settle down, kind of what that looked like. We were just kind of talking like, you know, well, do we want to stay in Sydney? Do we want to move to Newcastle? Do we want to move somewhere else? Do we want to go to Melbourne? We kind of just weighed them all up and like Newcastle was looking pretty good. My family was still here. Her parents had just recently moved here. Kind of, we thought, you know, let's give it a go. And yeah, look, it was as much as like you think coming back to your hometown is going to be a certain thing. Like it was like, I was a stranger for a bit. Like you kind of, everything's changed, especially I've been gone at that point, maybe 10, 15 years. Like it's still got friends here and, but like, yeah, everywhere's different. It takes a while to kind of get back into the swing of things. But yeah, it's once, um, once we're here and kind of found our feet, like we've loved it. No looking back. Like it's, the quality of life is unreal. Like, don't get me wrong, I, I love Sydney. I love London. Like, I always have a special place in my heart, but it's like now it's like a 20-minute commute to work no matter where you live in Newcastle. It's, you know, you can go to the beach and get a park and just relax. It feels like you just have more, there's more hours in the day, which for the both of us being quite, like, career-driven and work-focused people is quite a good thing. <laughs> You mentioned near the top of the show of um, how amazing Newcastle is and uh, the the chefs that are sort of bringing it to life from a culinary perspective. T tell us a little bit about the region and, and the producers and the connections that you've been making since you have returned. Yeah, you've got like, there's so many good things up here. Like a really great example, I really got into like native produce when I was in Sydney and like was doing these dinners at the Charing Cross you know, with like trying to really champion local ingredients, native ingredients. And it was quite, other than what you could just walk down to Bondi and kind of just pick off the coast, everything else was quite hard to come by. And a great example, I've come up here, there's these guys at Oztaka and they have it all. They have everything. It's Davidson plums, bush tomato, like pepperberry, like they've, and it's whatever you ask them, they're like, yeah, we, we got heaps of that or we can get, we can get you that by tomorrow kind of, it's great. You've got Dylan at Newcastle Greens growing the most fantastic vegetables that like, it's really gone back to that. You know, you've, you've never tasted cauliflower like this before. You've never tasted cabbages like this before. You've never tasted broccoli like this before. And it's like, as now we're hitting spring, like it's only getting better. Things like that. You've got, um, you've got the Valley right here. You've got great wine coming out and just kind of, it just feels like everyone's up here just 
really having a red hot go at it. Tell us a little bit about the Lucky Hotel and you know how they lured you in and 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 what you're doing there. We had um, look, I was doing some good things here. I was really happy with the work I was doing, but it was very much like it was very kind of by the numbers jobs and you know just kind of lifting things up a bit. A really good friend of mine that I worked with when I first got back here, Zach Davis. He had come on board as the with the Lucky as the Tillian Wills Group kind of their area manager. I was speaking to him. He said, mate, there's this great opportunity here. He'd been around to my house many times for dinner. He knows the food that really comes out of my heart and what I like to do. He was like, mate, this is, this is where you can be you. This is where you can really, yeah, really kind of open it up and go for it. And yeah, I kind of was like, nah, I'm okay. And then, <laughs> then you know, he kind of, we'd have another catch up he kind of gave me a bit more of an idea of what it was and it's been unbelievable. Like it feels like it just feels like I'll be able to put together everything I've learned along the way. We've got really nice meat on. We've got some really classic dishes from my apprenticeship. Like we brought back the veal salt bocca and it's like, it's just the things that I kind of sat down and I was like, well, what do I really want to eat? What do I want to go out for? What, what do I going to take my wife and friends out for? Like it's, just tried to get it really like I guess like homely and approachable the brief we've kind of gone for like we're going for like the venue itself has got a very Palm Springs feel to it which is fantastic a lot of flamingos from a food point of view it really just means whatever you want it's like fresh healthy vibrant but they're not afraid to go it's kind of luxe dishes you know we're pushing and I do not bite it chance claims we invented this but yeah we do a really nice fried chicken with the caviar and it's like some nice creme fraiche smoked abriga caviar and it's just like but people come into the venue and see it and will order it and they're just like this is unreal and it's like it's a really nice luxe experience without without having to break the bank you know you can still come in and like you can still just have a schooner of vb and have this you can still order a palmy if you want but you know it, it's a nice vodka sauce it's a nice locally smoked ham it's it's just simple, fun, and it's not. There's nothing on there where you read the menu and go, I don't know what that is. How much has your cooking changed um, since you've been given this sort of license, just to to be you rather than trying to cater for you know the a pub market in Sydney, for for instance? I feel like it's really um, it's given me a lot more confidence, to be honest, because it's not not that I really struggled with that before. So I hope that didn't sound arrogant, but um, like it's, it's, it's just in my hands. I don't have to second guess what expectations are from other owners or other stakeholders. It's, it's go for it. And the only thing stopping me is if it's good or not. And to be able to show these kids that to be able to, so I say kids, it's, I've got a really great team here, young chefs, sort of apprentices, and it's a really good opportunity to kind of, show them these things that kind of, I guess, formed me into who I am. Has it, Have there been challenges or is there still a balancing act in, in getting that offering right, given that it is a pub? Yeah, I feel like there's, there's always going to be challenges and it will always be a balancing act. And at the end of the day, you're never going to make every single person happy. But you do your best, you, you really push for it. Like, it's kind of that, aim for the moon, land amongst the stars kind of thing. Like 
as long as you know you're doing your best and that's what I try to drill in to all the guys here like as long as you're confident in it as long as you're you know you've done your best with it like that's all you can really ask of people the, the last couple of years have been pretty challenging for for everyone and particularly those in the industry what, what sort of impact has um had, had on you I guess it gave me a real like look I don't want to I don't want this to come out the wrong way I, I kind of feel a bit somewhat blessed by COVID to be honest like it it forced me to just stop it forced me to stop and kind of take stock of what's going on and look around and kind of you know like just see just take a breath refocus what I was doing kind of I mean the first one was a mad scramble and as much as we'd kind of sat down gone through the budget it's like okay you know we're going to be all right. Like I needed to get out and work. I was packing shelves at Coles. I was uh, working for my father-in-law, doing some logistics stuff. I was doing anything I could to keep busy and keep working. But then towards the end, it was just that kind of like, okay, like take a breath. It's going to be okay. And just, I guess, take that strength back, take that control back, which is good. It's kind of taught me just to block out all the noise and just, I've been really blessed with this career. It's a really great, it's a really great job and you get out everything you put in and it's just kind of reignited that and reaffirmed that. And yeah, it's given me a lot of passion to go back into it. Not that I was lacking in that, but yeah. Well, you've had an incredible impact on many people with some incredible pubs uh, during your time. What do you love about what you do? Well, that's just it. The people like, I know I've mentioned some names through here, but the, the people I've met along the way, the mentors I've had, the people I've worked with, people I've worked for, it's been an incredible experience that you just kind of, these people come into your life and make a difference. And yeah, that's, God, I'm getting very romantic, aren't I? It's my old age. (laughs) (laughs) But it's just something I'm very grateful for. It's like, yeah, you meet all these different people and they all have an impact on your life and you just, you want to be able to give that back. Well, Stephen, it's um, amazing what you do and it's an absolute honour to have you on Deep in the Weeds today to hear just a bit of your story. Um, Please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon. Will do. And thank you. It's been an absolute honour myself to be on it. Thank you for the invite. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.